welcome to episode 74 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all of the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the tremendous people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Alan Piggott is our interviewee in episode 74. Born in Dundee, Scotland in 1953, Alan developed a deep passion for football early in his life. Alan started playing football in the streets of Dundee and at Anne Street Primary School in the 1950s. In these early years, Alan would go and watch Dundee at Dens Park when they played midweek and even went by himself to watch Dundee against Rangers in the 1963-64 Scottish Cup final at Hampden Park with 120,000 other supporters. In his teenage years, Alan played in school, youth club and representative football teams. After he left school, he joined Kerry Muir Thistle FC and was training with East Fife FC. And it was at this point in his life he saw a newspaper article about Safeway United's manager and Dundee local Jim Harris that changed his life. In the article, Jim Harris said if any footballers were interested in coming to Australia, then they should contact Jim. Alan contacted Jim, and in the space of 10 days, his Australian adventure had begun. I appreciated the opportunity to record and listen to Alan's football experiences. I have sincere appreciation, respect and thanks for the time Alan spent in driving down from Singleton to Coromel to record this interview. Please enjoy episode 74. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the leafy suburb of Coromel and I'm with my very, very special guest, Alan Piggott. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Travis. Thank you very much. Welcome. Good. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I want to firstly thank you for, for travelling down all this way to do this interview in, in my home. I, I, I respect that and uh, all the time that you put in to sort of fill out your timeline. Um, it's, it's fascinating and we're going get, to get into it and I really appreciate you coming down. Thank you. Thank you. You were born in Dundee in Scotland in uh, December 1953. What are your first memories of football? Growing up in the in the streets of Dundee, or in uh, North Allen Street, was our first place where we used to put our jumpers down on the on the ground at goalposts and uh, play from from morning till dark during the school holidays. <laughs> and uh, I, because I was so um, focused on trying to become a soccer player, even from the early age of seven, eight, nine years old, I used to have the best soccer ball <laughs> in the street. So when the kids wanted to come and play soccer, they'd come and ask me, are you coming out to play, Alan? <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, but I've got homework to do or I've got uh, dinner to have. Uh, well, could we use your soccer ball? <laughs> so Because it was the best soccer ball in the street. So sure, not a problem. And I, I always got it back, so nobody ever pinch anything in these days. It was just a great time. So obviously uh, the best soccer ball held currency back then and as it does today. 
Yeah. You got into the game uh, growing up in Dundee. Uh, who was uh, who was your team? Was it Dundee or Dundee United initially? In the 60s, Dundee actually won the Scottish League in, in the Cup that year, 1960. And they were the team to follow because it brought European soccer into the city. And uh, they, they managed to get to the semi-finals of the European Cup in these days, uh, eventually beaten by Inter Milan. Um, but I did go to the game up up until I, watched, I went to every game. And the, the, the players then, European players, had never been to a city like Dundee before. <laughs> They'd always been to, to, to Glasgow, to Rangers and Celtic. And it was a bit different for them as well. So we had a lot of good European players come through the city that year, you know. So you would go to games and, and, oh, and yeah. watch? Oh, uh, yeah. I used to sneak in under the turnstiles, <laughs> crawling under hands and knees. <laughs> <laughs> so was that at Dens Park? Dens Park. Dundee played at Dens Park. Dundee United played across the road at Tannadice. Tannadice. Yeah. So for you, you're, you're a Dundee fan then initially. And, and so you'd go to games when you could? Just by yourself or with friends? Mostly, mostly the midweek evening games yep. because the Saturday afternoons there was always playing. Yep. In these days, the, the games used to always be before Sky Television came in or whatever. <laughs> used to always be three o'clock kickoff Saturday afternoon, which coincided with me playing soccer somewhere else in the city. So it was always uh, the midweek games, which are always a Wednesday evening. 7.30 kickoff. so I used to go to these games mostly, yeah. And how far um, was Dens Park from your house then? Uh, walking distance, 20, so 20 minutes walking distance. Um, yeah, there's no buses in from A to B there, you just have to make your own way. But I used to meet my uncle, who came from one of the outer suburbs, and he used to take me under the turnstiles. <laughs> <laughs> For yourself, playing out in the street, playing with your friends, but... But going to Dens Park and watching Dundee, that sort of brought a passion that you had towards the game and kept growing it? Yeah, the, the, the Dundee players in these days, we, we had uh, uh, a few internationals. Um, Ian Ewer was centre-half, who eventually went to Arsenal. Alan Gilzean went to Tottenham Hotspur. They were both Scottish internationals who uh, people looked upon. And local guys, they were, they were local, they were... And Alan Gilsey actually come from Kiri, uh, from Cooper Angus, just ten miles out of Dundee. So he was a local, you know. And to see local guys doing so well in a small team like Dundee yeah. was very, very well. So it inspired yourself. Yeah, um, from about sixty three, sixty four, Dundee United started to become uh, on the up, managed by Jerry Kerr and. Uh, People used to start, Dundee were going back away, Dundee United were coming forward. So I used to go and watch Dundee United, and then when they would become 14-year-old, I played for the under-14 Dundee United junior team, um, which was uh, managed by a, a, a guy called Dave Menzies, but he also had Derek Johnston and Ian Britton. When you, you're then growing up, um, the other opportunity in in Scotland and, and England, it was was the school system. So you went to Ann Street Primary. Yep. Um, Ann Street Dun in Dundee. Yep. So from 58 to 64, so what are your recollections of, of playing schools 
school soccer there at Ann Street? From Ann Street, Ann Street was just the, the, the primary school where we played soccer on the concrete in the playground. But after school, once you got to 10, 11 year old, you progressed to playing on the grass, <laughs> <laughs> which was down the road, um, uh, which which was much better. But you, used to, you would play on the grass, you used to come home with mud on your boots and mud on your school shoes and your socks and yeah, it's a little disaster. And when you started getting onto the grass as a 10 or 11 year old there for Ann Street, um, you're playing against other schools, I'm assuming, but... Did you have a certain position, or where were you positioned early on in your your playing? I just like to be up the front scoring goals. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I like to be, and I was never in defence. I was always up front. <laughs> and were you naturally right-footed, left-footed? Were you pretty right, quick? Right-footed, yeah, right-footed. And those days at Ann Street, um, there was a, a cup competition called the Thompson Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk us about 1961 and? And sort of having a taste of success, even at a young age, in the Thompson Cup. When we played in the Thompson Cup, we the the the, the final was against Baldovin. We used to call them the Baldovin Bad Bad Boys, but it was <laughs> a school which was um, a big a big big house with a lot of rooms where uh, they they brought kids that were gone off the off the tracks more or less or. Maybe become homeless or run away from home or stole something at the local shop or something. So they'd go spend some time at Balgoven Bad Boy School, we used to call it. And uh, we were more or less promoted to to play the cup final at Lochie United's ground in Dundee, which was had a fence round it, which was all, <laughs> all big for us. Um, I still remember in these days when you played for the school, the teacher used to bring the oranges at half time, so you yep. get a half an orange at half time. But this particular day, I still remember, it was in middle of winter time, and a couple of the parents had brought thermoses of tea. Ooh. So we had tea and honey, <laughs> honey put into the the cup of tea, and uh, that was to to give us stamina <laughs> at 10-year-olds. So uh, and that, that was a big victory that day. 6-0, six, 6-1, six, six I think we won. Yeah. And so you, you scored in that game where yeah. you won. Um, uh, you were then given a bit of a nickname after that game. What was that? And explain it to the listener. A nickname, I was dubbed the second Billy Steele. Who, Billy Steele was a, a legend, playing for Dundee in his days. And Danny Clink was a school news reporter, covered all the school football. And uh, he used to have a, a couple of columns in the local People's Journal or in the Sporting, uh, Sporting Post on a Saturday night. So Danny dubbed me the second Billy Steele. <laughs> so that must have uh, been a great feeling to A, B, written in the newspaper, local local rag, and, and also to be uh, dubbed... Uh, Billy Steele, who was a legend of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a... To, and I still have the paper cuttings today. <laughs> of, of, <laughs> yeah. You've got a love for the game. You're playing it. You're watching it. Um, did your family have any involvement prior to this? Um, was there any football in the blood or it was just you as a kid that started loving the game? I was probably a bit of a loner of the family because... Um, the soccer that I 
that I played around town was catching buses back and forth, back and forth. And just, uh, I just returned from, from back home in October past and uh, I was talking with my sisters one night and my sister says, you weren't even at my wedding <laughs> because she had just gone through all her wedding photos to see if I actually was. I says, no, I was down playing soccer in Newcastle <laughs> that particular weekend that she got married. And uh, it, it was a thing that I just went off and done my own thing. Yep. My father was a bus driver, a shift worker. He would try and get to some games, but uh, not, not, not as often as he probably liked. Um, my mother was just in the house all the time doing the cooking, looking after the kids, you know. Um, my older brother was a, a musician, and my older sister played netball for Dundee, and a uh, very good netball player. My, my younger sister and brother, they were never ever involved. But I was, I just went out, threw my soccer boots over my shoulder, uh, Away I'd go. <laughs> so it wasn't a soccer family or there wasn't any history, no, it just no. the soccer bug had got you. I was it. There's no, nothing else about uh, the other kids in the family being involved, no. So when you, when you talk about um, uh, doing things on your own, um, I guess these days uh, some parents would probably have a bit of a flutter of the heart when they hear what the story you're about to tell me. But when you were young and going to watch the game... You went by yourself to what a Scottish Cup final. Can you tell the listener who was in the Scottish Cup final, how you got to the game and, and the crowd that was at this game? And what year was it? I, I stood behind the goals at Hamden Park, uh, down at the fence because I was only small and I was able to sneak my way forward. Um, Dundee and Rangers, and it was 1-1. It was uh, and there was like... A minute and a half to go, and Rangers scored two goals in the last minute to beat Dundee 3-1. But 130,000 people at Hamden Park and a little eight-year-old <laughs> <laughs> on a bus by himself, but I was cared for, I was well looked after. Uh, a couple of the guys on the bus uh, looked after me and, and showed me where to go and how to get back and forward to the bus. Um, and, and back home after the game, yeah. I... So your passion for your, your club, uh, but then, uh, like you said, as an eight-year-old, to go out and watch this final. So it, it, it took a couple of buses to get to Hampton Park, did it? Yeah, we had um, a, lot, a lot of buses went from Dundee that, that, that particular day, so you just had to make sure you got in the right number of bus to come home. So... Uh, no, I, I, I used to do these things and zigzag my way through the crowds. and <laughs> yeah, was, That was the days when you could do these things in these days and yeah. it wasn't like it is today, you know? Well, like you said, uh, a couple of the uh, uh, men that were on the buses sort of saw that you needed sort of looking after him to get to the game and then 130,000. So what was the atmosphere like at Hampden Fan, Park? Fantastic, and... fantastic. The, you stood behind them. At Hamden Park, when you stand, stood behind the goals at the at the fence, you couldn't see the other end of the field. Yep. You couldn't see that far. <laughs> so, <laughs> and being just standing over, looking over the over the fence, the, the dike, you know. Um, but people looked after people in these days. So the, the guys on the bus looked after me. When you sort of um, spoke about in your timeline, you get to high school, and, and so... 
at this point in time, um, you're playing for your high school team, which was um, Kirkton High, was it? Yeah. And, and and then you're also, if you're good enough or, or selected, you then play in a Dundee select side. So I'm assuming that's just the best players from the different secondary or high schools, and then they play against other select teams from around the districts or the country. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what was it like playing for Kirkton High and, and what was it like when you found out that you are in the Dundee Select team? With, with Kirkton High, we, we were, the, the soccer players were chosen first. If, due to the ground conditions, if the grounds were unplayable on the Saturday, the, soccer play, the better soccer players used to get chosen to play for the rugby union team. The rugby union team always used to play against private schools who had better grounds and they were looked after. The All the grounds were always playable <laughs> um, and it was a joy to play there because you used to get a shower after the game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, but, but playing for Kirkton High, we, we, had, we had a very good side, good, good team these years. Uh, and young Ian, Ian was our star forward, Ian Britton. So Ian Britton, uh, a name that people in Scotland and England would know about. So uh, could you see at that point, because he went on to play professionally, um, tell us a bit about him at that age and could you see the potential in him? I, I used to um, try and be as close to Ian as I possibly could because I could see his future was going somewhere. <laughs> Um, he used to be taken down to Chelsea school holiday times and clean the boots and uh, look after the, 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 dressing, the dressing rooms at uh, Stamford Bridge. And uh, he played in the, in the years he played with Chelsea was a good Chelsea side. Peter Osgood, Ron Harris and players like that was around when Peter, uh, Ian was playing. And I actually met him in Wollongong when he came out to play against Wollongong Select. Yeah, that's uh, they won ten one or something like that at showground, you know. Um, back in that would have been back in seventy five, I would think. Yeah, it's around there. Around that time. So you could tell at an early age that you sort of knew, be near him because he's got skills and. Oh yeah, he was a, he was a class act. He was far far above anybody else. If you were down a goal or two, give the ball to Ian and he'll fix it up. <laughs> and for yourself, uh, when you got to high school with Kirkton, uh, what position were you playing at that point? I should play left half, numbers yep. number six in the old days, left half. And that was when I was chosen to play for Dundee, Dundee High Schools. So uh, was that a, sorry to interrupt there, was that a, an exciting feeling for you to be part of the Dundee High School select team? Ah, it was, it was different because they were... Um, they got privileges, yep. being a, a select side from Dundee. The council were always behind them, that kind of stuff. So there was always um, buses to games um, instead of finding a car to get you to A to B. Uh, played on good grounds. Um, and that was one the the year, I think it was the semi-final, we actually reached against Aberdeen. Uh, it was at Aberdeen to play. And... Uh, it was in a, a private school ground that we played the game, which, unbeknown to us, before the game was the school that Dennis Law actually went to as a kid. 
and uh, after or on the, on the way out from the the the, the sheds to the to the the ground, Dennis was actually standing there. Wow! And he uh, stuck out like a th- sore thumb with his blonde hair and <laughs> the good look, you know. And uh, and he shook everyone's hand as he walked onto the field. That must have been a cool feeling for everyone, including Dennis, yourself. Dennis Long to... was a star. You know, he was he was a man. You and know? he was at this game. Oh, it, was, it was unbelievable. So never forget that day. Never forget that day. Uh, but they beat us three one, so they made the they made the final. But it still must have been a, a particularly um, fond memory. Like you said, you you had it in your timeline to meet a superstar, shake his hand, and and everyone did, and he's there at the game that you guys are playing in. He shook his hand and then as you were, <laughs> he was shaking as his hand was shaking, you know. Yeah. Was there other guys in that Dundee Select team that you can recall? Derek Derek Johnson played. Um, he was he was a six foot two centre forward and uh, very very strong in the air, Derek. And he was playing for he was training with Rangers at the time become the 16-year-old star that scored a headed winning goal against Celtic in the Scottish Cup final. And uh, he went on to play for Scotland. He was in the squad that went to Mexico in the World Cup. I don't think he actually played in Mexico, but he was one of the one of the squad members and came back and managed a couple of teams in, in Scotland. He's now a television pundit. Yep. On TV. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, his, a lot of people used to reckon that his brother was always a better player than what Derek was, but never <laughs> got anywhere. <laughs> For yourself, uh, football was starting to sort of be a big part of your life. And at the age of 14, um, you then, even though you're a Dundee fan, um, you got selected in the Dundee United um, under-14s team, is that correct? Yeah, and yeah. And so you were 13, yeah. turning 14 at that age. So how did that come about and, and what was that like? The, the, the Dundee United coach at the time, Dave Menzies, he used to go around school, the school grounds and uh, pick who he wanted. He would then approach the school and go through the right channels before approaching the kids yep. and picked up a select from the schools. He had also the under-16s, under-14s and under-16s he used to look after. And uh, he used to, the under-14s used to train like from 5 o'clock till 6.30, the under-16s used to train from 7 o'clock till 8.30 more or less. And uh, he, a lot, a lot of time he put into nurturing the kids for school So this kids. is the first team manager. Yeah. He's then doing the under-14s and under-16s trying to then filter through yeah. the talent yeah. into the first team. He was he did a lot a lot of work. I remember, and uh, he used to arrange all the fixtures as well. So we'd we'd be playing usually Friday nights. We used to play a lot of Friday night games, um, yeah. and and sometimes we would play away from Dundee at a, a game on a Friday night where the first team were playing on the Saturday. Okay, so. Uh, he, some some kids used to stay behind and 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 overnight uh, in in the town where they were playing just to watch the the first team play. The first team players used to come and train with us sometimes. Wow! Um, just to uh, be involved because it was Dundee United, you know. 
that uh, these days are gone now. <laughs> so how did that make you feel? Firstly, uh, how did you find out? Was there a phone call to your parents to say, we want you to come down here to Tanadice and, and be part of this under-14s team? Or Well, well the, my, my parents never ever had anything to do. Uh, we we never had a telephone in these days. Nobody had. Uh, we were we were a, quite a poor family. It was just word of mouth, okay, uh, more or less. Of, uh, but you were pretty stoked and happy that you were part of Dundee United's. Oh yeah, set up. It was a big thing. So was it um, because you were a Dundee fan, and oh, I guess there's some slight rivalry there between Dundee and Dundee United. That didn't matter to you that. You were once a Dundee fan, and now you're in a Dundee United shirt. Uh, we we did. I still remember we did have a a game. It was a a preseason. Uh, Dundee um, had a preseason game. I think it was against St Johnston at Dens Park, and the Dundee Juniors under 14s played the Dundee United Juniors under 14 as a pre-match header. You know. And uh, that was at Dens Park, so I played at Dens Park yeah. for Dundee United. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was a pretty uh, cool feeling for you to, to oh, be yeah. out there. Yeah. So Dundee United under fourteens. It only lasted a year. Um, were you slightly disappointed that that didn't continue on, or you just you could see that there were other talented players and and you enjoyed your time and learnt a bit and and went from there. From from there, I went to Minnis Hill, a boys' youth club, um, done by a guy called Jack Watson, who looked after the under-16s, which was a, a new club, a new centre, a new sporting centre. Was so built. just a, like a police boys' club here? Yeah, that yeah. Young people come there for fitness and exercise and, and they, they did everything foot, they inside, team. which was good because of the cold winter nights, you, you, you couldn't play outside a lot and they had a gymnasium inside that we have indoor activities um, and he was sat in the soccer side there so he went round and picked the best from the best yeah um, and uh, he used to uh, take Ian and myself a couple other kids down to Arbroath and that's where we started to train down at Arbroath so that's another sort of semi-professional club in yeah. in the Scottish system so, uh, again, um, I guess through, uh, it was just a coincidence that this guy then had connections. Yeah, they had, um, Jack uh, Watson used to work national cash registers in Dundee, and uh, he had a few inside information people uh, with the senior clubs, and he knew people at Arbroath and invited us down to to. to to play and to train down there for a few months, that was a, a step forward. So you were, you were. And so, what was that like for you? you? Like you said, you'd been at Dundee United under fourteens. Now this is under sixteens. Uh, both is probably a smaller club compared to Dundee United. Yeah. But still semi-professional. Um, what was that like for you? The the, the Dundee United under sixteens kind of disband they they weren't going as well they were losing players yep. to these other new clubs coming on the on the on on the scene and 
everybody wanted to play for the best youth clubs in the okay. district. There was a club called Club Romar Romario, was an Italian-based club. They were very, very strong, and they had a lot of money. So they were attracting under-16 kids and actually paying them money wow. to come and play for them. Only five pound or ten pound, but God, that's a lot of money for yeah. a, a young kid, you know. And uh, the the is the Minnes Hill Boys Club didn't. There's no money, never any money involved here, but you were well looked after. You were well looked after. So that competition was relatively strong, um, mm. and our growth was more of a chance to train in a semi-professional way and and gain more skills. And and did you occasionally play some games with them? It was starting to become more semi-professional as for the, the kids. It was a, a thing to look forward to, yep. to a, a step up. If you got to under-16s, then you went to the under-18s, yep. and you were, you were more or less full, full on by then. And, uh, but you had to be very good to, yep. to, to get to that stage, you know. Uh, in, 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 the, in the Dundee League... Um, after 16s, then you went to the juniors, yep. which was um, where I moved up to Kerry Thistle, and uh, they were the Tayside amateur side, which was similar to what we have here of the Illawarra district. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So sort of Premier League, Yeah. sort of similar to that. So uh, I guess at that point... You're loving your football. Um, you're probably not in the in the class of Ian Britton or, no. or Derek Johnston. No, no. You knew that, but you still love to play, and and you're still playing at left half at that point in time. Oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was good. It was a good competition. It wasn't high scoring competition. It was the teams were very well organised and and well looked after. Training-wise, fitness-wise, a lot of emphasis was put on your fitness, um, to to which you needed for the the cold, long winters, yeah. <laughs> unless you know. Um, but uh, no, it was it was good times. It was it was good. Because uh, you then, um, like you said, you played it. You had a different high school in Rockwell High School, um, so you, you played for them and you played with the. Uh, Minnie's Hill, um, as you said, there in that youth, the youth centre team, and they played in a sort of youth league. But after you finished high school, um, you then got an apprenticeship, um, so you had to move, like you said. So tell the listener a bit about where you moved to and how it came about that you came to, to, to the next club in your journey. When I left Dundee. Uh, I moved to a, a town called Kerrymuir, which was about 14 miles away, and uh, become a, an apprentice joiner, and served uh, three years as my apprenticeship before I came to Australia. But during my time at the the joinery, um, I I needed to I needed to play soccer, but the only club locally was Kerrymuir Thistle. So I turned up there one one Thursday night for training, and uh, unbeknown to them, they didn't know who I was. So at this point, you're roughly how old? 
I was just just turned sixteen. Yep, sixteen year old, and uh, then I I had a couple of training sessions, and they asked me to sign. So I, I did that, and then uh, played with them until until I come to Australia uh, with with sessions both at East Fife yep. um, on on the side more or less. Um, so was this uh, um, with Kerry Thistle? Like you said, it was similar to I guess the Illawarra Premier League, a, a sort of district competition. It was sort a, of state was, league, maybe as well. It was probably a bit stronger than yep. the Illawarra uh, league here, but the travelling that we used to have to do in between a, a different towns that we had to go back and forward to, you could travel thirty-five, forty miles to the next to your next game on a Saturday. <laughs> um, so was that a bus trip or? Uh, we used to have we used to have a bus used to take us to the games. The Scottish Cup, I still remember playing the Scottish Cup against Dundonald Bluebell, which was like seventy miles away. It was a long way. Wow. <laughs> uh, so you're an apprentice joiner. How many times are you training with Kerry Thistle a week? Once or twice a week and then playing on Saturdays or Sundays? Play on Saturdays. And sometimes in this in this warmer or well, in the beginning of the season or towards the end of a season um, the longer nights were creeping in and you'd have a night game yep. but it had to be finished before dark because a lot of the clubs didn't have floodlights <laughs> and uh, so we did that you did used to play a, f- a few night games so you're playing still at left half or they put you in a different position at Kerry Thistle when I went there uh, unbeknown they, they didn't know much about me but uh, I made out that I was a, a former left half, but I would play anywhere to get a game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they ended up putting me on the left wing, which I didn't mind because if I was going down the left wing and then cutting inside, I have a shot with my right foot, which was my stronger foot. Um, so I, I scored quite a few goals. And this competition that you're playing in with Kerry Thistle is, is all men, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're you're still, you know, not a huge bloke. I'm only little fella. Yeah, and so you're <laughs> sixteen, yeah. turning seventeen, and, and plenty, plenty against mature adults. So how did you find that? Was that a challenge initially to sort of, or did you learn quickly and you had to learn quickly? The age and the size never used to bother me. Yeah, I used to just go out there and play because I wanted to play. Yeah. Um, the, the the older members and the bigger members of the side used to look after you, but uh, it didn't bother me one bit. I used to go out, give me the ball, and I'll do what I can, you know. Yep. And that was that was me, and uh, and that's when you started to get noticed by by other clubs, you know. But it's it, it was it was hard, but I was able to get over that that, that part. Because you're playing there, like when you're 16, 17, and 18, like you said, you had three years there. So, uh, do you think um, people underrated the Scottish system at that point in time, or over here, or in England, they may have? But there was a lot of talent there, and it was a strong competition. Yeah, the the competitions, the competition in the Scottish junior sides was always very, very strong on the west coast. Yep. Uh, much stronger than the East Coast, and I was on the East Coast. 
Um, the, the, the teams in the West Coast is where Rangers and Celtic used to get their players from. Okay. Uh, because they were local and, and all the rest. And they were always very strong. And then when the players from the senior sides went to the retirement age, they went to play for these sides. Okay. So you were playing against guys that were in their 30s who had just come from playing first division. <laughs> and you are playing against people like that. When they, the, the, the junior system, players didn't move around as yep. much as what they would nowadays because... They stayed closer to home, you know. They had a job and all the rest of it, and it was closer to home. They didn't travel as much as what we used to hear. So uh, it was always pretty hard to arrange. I'm, I'm going to be playing thirty miles away, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was either seventy-one or seventy-two that um, your uncle had a connection with the company he used to work with. And, and explain to the listener what the connection with that company and, and getting some time training and playing the occasional game with East Fife FC. My my uncle George, who's passed away since, but anyhow, uh, he uh, was the only family member that was ever involved in soccer. Okay. And uh, he had a connection with through his work friend of... Uh, getting me to to go to training and trials with these five uh, at the time. But it was an hour's drive from from, from Dundee to East Fife. Uh, from, I, I couldn't, I had no car, I had no wheels. So he arranged it uh, to McCann. The goalkeeper used to take me, yep. meet me in Dundee. I'd catch the bus into Dundee. He'd meet me down the bus station, go to, go to the, the soccer and come back and drop me at the bus station and come home. And that that went on for twelve months or so. And so then uh, you were sort of seventeen, eighteen here, still playing with Kerry Thistle on yeah. the weekends, but during the week you'd train with East Fife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, East Fife had a couple of games. Had a couple of games with their more reserve side. They they only used to have a, a squad of fifteen or seventeen players, uh, fifteen, eighteen players maybe, uh, for a first grade squad. And they, they used to make up their reserve squads from local juniors in, yep. in the East Fife area. So I went and joined them and played a couple of games with them. It was fun. It was good. Um, we, we played in Glasgow a couple of times, um, just as a reserve grade side. And at the time, we were managed by Jimmy Bonthron, who was a went on to become Aberdeen's manager yeah. and then uh, I think he had a couple of years with as a, as a national uh, manager uh, very nice nice guy Jimmy he was he was good but he's to keep an eye on things and he was the guy who gave me my first wage when I got called into the dressing room and into his office after training one night and uh, he he gave me a five pound note. <laughs> <laughs> what's this for <laughs> and uh, he says that's to help you with your getting back and forward I know you get a, a lift back and forward he says but you've got still got to catch a bus you know so uh, that was my first soccer wage of five pounds from Jimmy Bonthron <laughs> so at that time with these five reserves your training is it predominantly do you, did you train with the first team a little bit as oh, well oh yeah. yeah so part of you was thinking look normally 
in Scotland at that time, it's between the ages of 13 and 16 that you get picked up. Yeah. Um, so you'd miss that boat. But did part of you still have a bit of a hope in your mind that you could potentially do something, even though at this age you were you 17, sort of turning 18 when you're training with East Fife? I, I used to think that if I don't do anything whilst I was at East Fife, if this doesn't work, then I've missed the boat. I've, yep. I've got to do something this year, more or less, because... And that was 72, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. If you're not scouted on by a senior club, like Ian was at 13 years old, then you become too old. Yeah. And uh, Derek, Derek was a bit older. Derek was 15 before he went to Rangers uh, as, a, as a trainee, but... Uh, the younger the younger ones 13 and 14 year olds so if you didn't get something by then you've missed it you know you got your first wage like you said you're playing some reserve team football and then uh, I guess you're coming into um, early 73 February and then there's an ad in the newspaper um, how did you find out about this ad and what what was in the advertisement in, in the ad, it was a, not so much an advertisement. It was a, a write-up from Jim, Jimmy Harris, who was a local Dundee man who used to play for Blackpool before he came to Australia. So was he known to you as, as a professional footballer or not, not to you? No, no. I, never, I only found all this out after I had yep. met the guy. But... Uh, it was the, the write-up in the paper was that he was home visiting his family on, on, a, on a short holiday and he only had a few days before he went back to come back to Australia when I, I noticed this write-up and had a telephone number so I called him. So the, the write-up said if you potentially want to play football out in Australia ring this number and, and talk to Jim Harris. Yeah, if uh, if anybody's interested, give me a call. I don't know how many callers he actually received, but I called him. So you called him that day or the next day? I went to see him the next day yeah. uh, in Dundee at his, his family's place. And he was um, coming back to Australia. That was like on the Sunday. And he was coming back to Australia on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, leaving to come home. When I had a talk with him, I took my mother along with me and uh, she asked a few questions. So what did she ask him? How am I going to be looked after and I'm not just going to be thrown to the wolves, you know? But Jimmy assured my mother that everything would be taken care of job-wise. They organised my work for me. I still had a year of my apprenticeship to do. And did did you talk about getting a wage from from soccer or...? or the club that you'd be playing with, or what was the standard like? Did you ask those sort of questions? Yeah, well, the, the standard, he, he then started to tell me about the Australian squad in the World Cup qualifying at the time it was, that was happening. And they had a couple of players that played for Australia, Peter and Adrian, Maxi. And uh, I, I never knew where Australia was. I had, uh, I, I didn't know, I was hoping that 
they have Mars bars and corn flakes in Australia. <laughs> we didn't know they would have that. And uh, uh, left it in Jim's hands. I got a, in these days, I got a telegram saying to give him a call on reverse charges to his work where he used to work at Safeway yep. uh, in, in the car yard selling cars. So, so he, he'd gone back. Yeah. But in that in that sort of interim period, he'd obviously um, checked you out with with Kerry Thistle and with East Fife, and 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 I guess talked to the manager Jimmy. Yeah, I went to I went to training with East Fife the next Tuesday, uh, and Jimmy called me in his office and he said he had had an inquiry the day before from Australia, and I said, Oh, really? And uh, he says, Yeah, he says, but. I don't want you to go to Australia. He says I've got uh, I've got someone else looking at you here. Yeah, really. So, but uh, I then a couple of telegrams and phone calls back and forth had happened. The next time I went to train on the Thursday, and the Friday night at East Fife, and I told Jimmy then that I had made up my mind and I was going to Australia. And he says, well, I could now then tell you that Manchester City have been looking at you both playing for East Fife or being in touch with East Fife and also watching me whilst I played for Kerry Thistle. And uh, I then didn't know what to do. <laughs> and he says, so make up your mind. I then went home and thought about it and another phone call to Jimmy. My airline tickets were on the way. Pick him up in, in at the airport and uh, I'll see you in Sydney next week, you know. I then went to my boss about my work and told my boss it was a Saturday morning. And I said to God and my boss, I says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> and uh, he says, no way, you can't do that, you know. You've still got a year of your apprenticeship to serve, you know. I says, yeah, but I've been looked after over there. He says, you, you can't do that. He says, you don't even know where Australia is, you know. And I says, no, I don't. I says, but it's a... Uh, a chance to better my soccer career, uh, a chance of a better life, maybe, lifestyle. So I've got my tickets. I've got to pick them up at the airport next week as I, as I leave. So, okay, so that was all fixed up. We're talking within the space of you reading this advertisement in the paper, the write-up about Jimmy Harris, Within the space of two weeks, or, or I had ten days' notice. So ten within ten days, you then had a discussion with your mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. They were in agreement with you that it's a chance here. If you want to do it, go for it. You then thought, well, I'm playing football or soccer out in Australia. They'll give me work, and I'll finish my apprenticeship. But, but then you also had that big news of that someone was scouting you and it was Manchester City. So did that sort of put a bit of a seed of doubt in your mind that even though you'd made the decision, you'd talk, having telegrams and talking with Jimmy Harrison in, in, at Safeway in Wanoona he was, uh, yeah. that it put doubts in your mind? I, I had an uncle who lived in Belmore in, in Sydney, my, brother, my mother's half-brother, and uh, my mum was reassured that if things don't happen along the soccer lines in Wollongong that I'd go to my uncle in Sydney yep. he would he would look after me uh, uh, a couple of phone calls from my mother to her brother in, in Sydney before I 
I, I left, saying that he's coming and will you look after him if things turn pear shape, you know? Yeah. And uh, but I I never needed that. I was I was looked after here. But you didn't think for maybe just a split second. You didn't think, oh Manchester City. I'll just tell Jim Harris no. Or you're a person of your word, and you'd made a decision, and in your mind you you wanted to go. In in these days, Manchester City were in the second division. Okay. Um, they were they were going really well. They were up near the top, and Malcolm. Malcolm Allison, the, the manager, manager, and uh, I was either going to move to England or move to Australia. <laughs> so Australia was a bit further away, but no, I, I never had, never in okay. two minds really, you know. So uh, when you then um, get to Australia, uh, how long before you either a went to training or b went to the game? My first night in Australia, I was picked up by Travis Birch and Jim Harris at the airport, and I spent my first two nights at Cornwall Hotel. Yep. They found a room out the back for me somewhere, away from the noise of the coal trucks going up and down the highway in these days. <laughs> and uh, and then I moved to the the Avenue just across the road here, uh, to the, the Shepherd's House in the Avenue, and I stayed there for the the term of my contract, well, that's 18 months, two, two soccer seasons, um, which then Because it was, was it still February in 73 that you came out or March? It was the, the late, late February 22nd or something when I arrived here and then I uh, first training session, we used to train Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we used to train yep. out of Balls Paddock, out of Winuna and uh, I Get picked up from the hotel, taken out. Jimmy would pick me up and take me out to the to training, and uh, meet all the boys first. So, what were your first impressions going out to Balls Paddock, and and then uh, Jim introducing you to the players and training? What were your what were your first thoughts? It was different to what I was used to back home, because back home, when you went to training at night, you were fully track-suited, yeah. beanies on, scarves on, <laughs> running around, <laughs> went out here, all you had was a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, you know? Uh, so that was all new to me, because it was February month. Um, and our first game was, the first game I actually played was the next weekend at Marconi Oval. And, uh, but there was a game previous to that at Winuna on the Friday night, I think it was, against Sutherland was the first game that I ever watched and Jimmy had more or less wanted me to play in the left wing Um, and Alan Thompson was the left winger for Safeway United and he said to me after the game he says so do you think you could do any better than that you know (laughs) ah sure (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah it wasn't to be so, uh, your first game in Marconi, uh, what do you recall? Um, and, 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 and the weather and the sun did a bit, bit of harm to you as well. It was a bit uh, daunting. I, uh, I remember walking out the, the tunnel at Marconi Oval and there's, I had never seen a policeman with guns and things. And, <laughs> but uh, this is, well, what am I in for here? You know, I'm thinking of 
middle of South America somewhere, you know. <laughs> uh, it was hot. So I remember it was hot, very hot. And my uncle and his wife uh, both came to see me that, that day and I talked to them after the game. And it was it was different to what I had ever been used to back home. Much more um, professional. Yeah. Um, Marconi, very professional club, very nice dressing rooms, nice uh, um, recreational facilities around the, the soccer ground. More, more than what we ever had back home, you know. But uh, it was, it was an eye opener. And, and you got uh, very sunburnt. And yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> and then some of the, the the other the other grounds that we used to play, up here at Leichhardt Oval. Yeah. Um, it was it was a joy to play and be there. It was it was a good place to be. St George Budapest at Hurstville is a good ground. Bigger bigger grounds than what I was ever ever used to. Wentworth Park, yeah. Panhellenic or Harcourt used to play at Wentworth Park, and you've got the dog track between the field field and the, and the crowd. <laughs> and and, and what about Balls Paddock uh, when it had a bit of a crowd? Uh, it's a Balls Paddock was what? great to play at. Yeah, the atmosphere at Balls Paddock was so good. The crowd was right on the fence line, right on so the side. So was it electrifying for you as a player that everyone was so close and ah, they yeah. packed them in? I loved playing out there at Balls Paddock. Uh, very similar to Memorial Park, actually. Yeah. The the, the fence next next to the the, the sidelines, you know. So how did you you go in your first few games? Where do you think you were contributing on the field, or do you think you were sort of still getting used to things? Was was uh, it was it a tough initiation for you? They they, they played me in midfield, in, in the reserve grade games. I was played in the, in the middle of the park, and it was normally alongside Dave Allison, um, which funnily enough, uh, he was the son of Malcolm. Who, who who was uh, scouting you at at Manchester City? So uh, did he, he say something to you about he, that? He 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 shook my hand in the shower the first uh, after the first training session. Uh, welcome to the club, Alan. Uh, I'm David, you know. And I said, oh, thank you, David. And he says, yeah, David Allison. I said, oh, really? I said, yeah, it was, could have been playing for your father, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he uh, he knew because his father had been in touch with him. And saying there's a guy from Australia, uh, from from Scotland, coming out to to play for Wollongong. His father only thought a Wollongong side, you know, but <laughs> unbeknownst to him, it was the same side that David played for. And uh, yeah, we played together uh, in the in the middle of the park. Um, I found it was very quick here, yep, compared to what I'd been used to. Um, and playing more or less for your country. Um, Safeway being more or less English, uh, European, as against playing against Panhellenic, Yuga Prags, and South Sydney Croatias, who were very, very um, um, ethnic clubs. Club club yeah. was country more or less, you know, yeah. and to play against them it was it was very different. Yeah, but I loved it. Yeah, so loved you it. did sort of do okay, and and and. And put your best foot forward on the field, and 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 then make first grade. And yeah, try try your best, and do do your best, and uh, yeah, just hope for the best. 
because you spent 73 and 74 there as you said you had a 18 month contract which had those two seasons so so what was uh jim harris like uh, as a first team manager slash coach jim jim only coached that first year i was here then uh, peter replaced him um in 74 after the world cup yeah so what uh, was jim like Jim, Jim was a great guy. Loved Jim. Jim loved his soccer. He uh, he loved a drink. <laughs> he made a drink now and again. But uh, no, he's, he's a lovely guy, and he took me, took him under his wing, took me under his wing, and and looked after me. And because having spoken to my mother and been reassured to my mother what he was going to do for me, um, no, it was good. Jimmy was very, very good. Very, very tough manager. Very tough trainer. Yeah. Um, uh, I I was always you know, I was picked upon because I was a newcomer and <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, the teammates. Uh, did you struck up any friendships initially, or did someone take you under their wing apart from Jim on the field, or were most of the guys pretty cool? Or uh, friend friendship wise, uh, Dave Allison. Dave Dave was uh, was was a good mate of mine. He lived next door to Peter. Down in the block of flats there, um, Donny Donny James was was my best mate from for the the first eighteen months I was was here, and then uh, when I went back home after the eighteen months, I was home for three months before I decided to come back again because my father had taken sick, but um, we still still the best of mates when I come back, you know. And Robbie Fryer, Bobby Fryer, yeah. uh, was was it was a good mate. Uh, Daryl Glover, the goalkeeper, yep, goalkeeper, yeah, was a very good, good friend. So uh, you had no sort of problems, sort of, I guess, merging into the club and and making friendships and 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 doing okay. Uh, in terms of on the field, though, who were a couple of players in that first year that sort of stood out to you as just wow, these blokes are, this teammate is excellent. I always remember when Willie Willie McCrotty came out. He was so nimble on his feet. He was very very quick. He was a standout. Yep. I always used to think that if he had been here before the World Cup, he would have been a throwing player. And uh, unfortunately, I think he only stayed for two years and went back home. Willie, um, Jerry Jerry Walker was a good mate of mine. And a uh, very, very hard trainer. Yeah. Uh, used to used to run along the beach every day while he training. <laughs> he never never catch Jerry not training. Uh, Shay Gleason. Yep. Uh, she gave me my first set of golf clubs. I mean, <laughs> he, he worked in the sports division at Walton's in Crown Street. Yeah. And I went to buy a set of golf clubs and she looked after me there, gave me a set of golf clubs and a bag. <laughs> like you're saying, um, nice guys. whether it be South Coast United and then it went to Safeway, um, you know, you, the club then looked after you and got jobs. So so what was what job were you given and where was that at when you, when you first came out? They said they'd look after you work-wise. Work-wise, I got taken down to Taraji Retirement Village. Yep. Uh, Ron Baxter. Was the the builder doing the 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 village there? So you finished your apprenticeship with him. With them for twelve months, yeah. While working at the village there for 
nine of the first 12 months before it was actually finished. And then Ron was also very heavily involved with Kembley Greens Racecourse. Yep. Did a few jobs down there while, and also the downtown hotel. He owned a downtown hotel, so I finished my apprenticeship. So really, the, the soccer club had connections, and oh, whether yeah. it was at Walton's or with with Baxter down at Taraji Retirement Village, everyone, or Safeway as a car yard salesman, everyone everyone had jobs in between playing football. There was always a job. If you if you wanted to work, you could always find work, you know. In these yeah. days, and then when you, when you finished my apprenticeship, went out more or less subcontracting in these days. Yep. Um, if you didn't like the guy you worked for, you went down the road and got another job tomorrow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from not just playing football, you you got on the football field, you're playing a sort of mix of reserves and first-team football, but also you finished your apprenticeship off, which you wanted to do and your parents wanted you to, to do as well um, because you did take that, that part of that seriously as well. It wasn't just football that you were coming out for. You wanted to finish your apprenticeship because... You, you brought out your tools to the country as well. Football, football come first. Yep. And uh, until I got married, yep. once I got married, then life changes. I went to work in the steelworks mm-hmm. just after I got married um, because the building trade was changing. Yep. Uh, everybody was cutting everybody else's pricing. And uh, I worked for a few guys, but it wasn't. Working three days a week wasn't good enough for when you're working, just getting married and trying to get a house or a unit or something. So I went to the steelworks and worked in the steelworks for 12 months, 15 months, before I then moved into the coal mines. Yeah, so, Other players there, um, you know, if we pick the, the ones that sort of stand out, when you came to Safeway and you had your 73 and 74 that you played there, uh, can you talk a bit about Peter Wilson, um, firstly, and then then Adrian Olsen? But but Peter, in terms of firstly him as a player, uh, can you tell the listener a bit about what made Peter such a special player? Peter walked onto the field, and there was an an aura about him. He he was big. He was good looking. He was he was. A standout wherever he was in the field and training wise he'd take you aside and tell you what he thought you were doing wrong or how he could improve your game and he used to spend a lot of time with myself and Donny, Donny James because we were at that time fringe yep. first grade players we were always on the bench together and whatnot and he was he, I couldn't have asked for any more help than what Peter was giving us. He spent a lot of time with us. Uh, he he would take us to the games yep. in Sydney if we had stuck for car uh, people. Um, unbeknown to me, I went to the game they played against the qualifying games at Sydney Cricket Ground or Sports right. Ground, whatever it was. And uh, I never knew who this guy was. I hadn't met him. And I was at the game with Dave Allison because they were in camp before during the, the World Cup games. Yep. And Dave said to me, that's that's our captain. That's our captain coach there, number three. He used to play number three on his back. Really? He's, he's our mate, you know. He says, oh, yeah, he's our boss, you know. 
that's who you're going to be playing with. And then it was after the the war, the came out of camp that he came training, and was able to introduce himself to him. And he was the nicest guy. Peter was the nicest guy, and uh, him and Adrian Olsen. So with Peter, sorry to interrupt. So could he pass on both feet? Um, was he strong on the ball? Did he read the game well? What made him special? Very, very, very strong on the ball. Uh, he he used to pick up the ball from the goalkeeper and he would dictate the play yep. from the centre-half role in, on the field. Um, he never very seldom lost a, a header challenge in the air. It's yep. very strong in the air. Um, and he... Had an aura about himself that you, you knew that he was much better than anybody else on yep. on the field. He knew his position as the captain of Australia, yep. who had had just taken over the captaincy from Johnny Warren, yep. I believe, before I come. And he, I think he, he was very well liked yep. by his teammates. And he used to stand out, head and shoulders above, above the rest. And was that the same at Safeway that you know everyone loved him as well, and yeah. and that's why he then took on the player coach role. Yeah, well, he was. Um, we we were stuck after Jimmy after Jim got the sack. Yeah. Um, but I think it was always on the cards that when Peter came back from camp that he was going to be the man. You know. Um, married into the the Birch family and whatnot, you know. So he was always, yeah, he was always going to be number one. And I, uh, I, I remember a few times when we went to play in Sydney, that we would be playing playing reserve grade, and then the first grade players would would be be warming up. Uh, Peter never used to do much warming up because he didn't really. He was he was over and above the rest of them. You know? <laughs> he didn't need to do that kind of thing. Uh, but a very very nicest guy, and I remember the interview with Gerd Muller after the World Cup. That we was asking, after all your years of playing soccer for West Germany, who's the hardest and toughest guy you played against? And he says, uh, this is a guy from Australia called Peter Wilson." She's the hardest centre half I've ever played against. Wow. And that was Gert Gert Muller. I still remember that interview. It was Gert Muller who was I think in the in the first game they played against with Jimmy, he actually scored maybe one or two of the goals yep. against Australia. But he says one of the toughest guys he's ever played against. So for you 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 feel lucky to have that involvement with him? And he was my mate. <laughs> he, he was my mate. Yeah. And what about Adrian? Alston. Uh, Adrian. What was he like as a player in terms of his strength on his feet or his shooting or what made him a strong and and quality player? Adrian was very, very strong in the air because he was six foot three or whatever, tall fella. Um, very, very strong in the air. Mostly left-footed. And uh, I, I just wish that he would have scored more goals. He never... He never scored a lot of goals for Safeway. Yep. Um, but obviously scored goals before to be included in the World Cup squad, you know. And uh, I, he's the nicest guy, Adrian, and his wife and family. But 
when he played for Safeway, I honestly, honestly can't recall him ever scoring any goals. But he was always there, not a very, very strong header of a ball. And then he went, after the World Cup, he went to, I think it was Luton Town. Yeah, I think he did. After the World Cup. Yeah. And, and then Max he went to America after that. And Maxie Tolson? Maxie, never really had a lot to do with Maxie. Um, although Maxie included me in his team to play Australia in his own testimonial before, the, I think it might have been three weeks before they went to into camp in Europe before the World Cup. And down here at Winuna we played. One night he included me in the side and I, I scored a goal. We got beat 4-2. But um, Maxie and I were both standing and the ball just arrived at my feet. And I still remember him saying to me, put it in, put it in. And I did, I put it in. But then Maxie turned around and went, yeah, you know. <laughs> and I th I think the announcer, Paul Pizzetti, yeah. announced that Maxie had scored the goal. But as we were going back towards the halfway line, Tony Boscovich was the referee. Yeah. And he turned around to me and he said, what number have you got? And he asked me what number was on my back. Yeah. And he put me down as a goal scorer. <laughs> So, uh, to put, um, before we go on to your next move from uh, from when uh, Safeway turned to Baugiani, um so to put in sort of uh, sort of financial context of, uh, of what you're getting paid, so when you came out and played for Safeway versus what you're getting paid with, with Baxter at Taraji Retirement Village, what were you getting paid um, to play? Um, uh, was it win loss or draw sort of sort of payments and then what were you getting paid as sort of a fourth Carp year apprentice carpenter <laughs> uh, I used to uh, my wages as a carpenter was $77 I still remember and uh, a week yep. for 40 hours uh, along with a $100 for a loss yep. if, if you're on the first team squad for Safeway yep. And 150 for a draw and 200 for a win. Yep. So if you had a couple of wins, you get $200.77. So I was quite wealthy. <laughs> so even, like you said, you played a mix of reserves and first. So you're on the bench. Did you get half that amount if you're on no, the no, bench? No, no, you got the, got this, you got, if you're on the bench, you got the full amount. Okay. Yeah, it was always the same, yeah. Um, so really, for, for the six months of the year that, you played football, it was very good money. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I used to send some money home to my mother because yep. I had too much money. Yep. <laughs> I used to send $50 back home to my mum. <laughs> At the end of uh, 74, uh, Safeway um, had some issues and, and then Baugiani and them merged together and then Baugiani um, then became the one team playing in Federation football. Um, Herbie Williams had the team and, and you were playing a bit of reserve team football did you know at that point that I'm on the out of here and I should then look elsewhere and other things were starting to happen in your life when when Bogani when we were more or less transferred to or transferred to, to Bogani but a lot of the players made their own arrangements and went elsewhere 
the the Safeway players who didn't go to Bergani, um, David David Allison, David went to Hong Kong, yep. remember rightly, um, and a lot of the other guys went district wise, yep. playing playing for uh, Fairy Meadow and Fig Tree and and whatnot. I I played a few games for Bergani, but recruitment with Balgani was mostly guys from England. Yep. They had a few guys come out from England and played. Herbie Williams was a coach who come from Wales. And they were I I I didn't see eye to eye with a lot of them. Yep. So after a few games and Was then, that just a personality clash, do you think? Yeah, it was um the English boys looked after the English boys, you know. Yep. And uh we didn't get looked after so well, so well there. So then that was when we moved to Cornwall Rangers. So uh, how did that sort of come about? You're, I guess, like you said, you're unhappy. Um, did someone seek you out from the Cornwall Club? Uh, did someone come and see you? Or Yeah, I had a, a meeting with Peter, Peter Dent. Yep. He came and had a talk to me one day. Um, I was living with my my wife's family down in uh, the Lassa Avenue and he came around the yard one day and asked about would you like to come and play with Cornwall Rangers I was getting to the stage of being fed up travelling to Sydney every second week with Balgowney yep. in the New South Wales Federation uh, League and sitting on the bench Yep. so I was closer to home play, play closer to home and train closer to home and Peter offered me a thousand dollars as a sign-on to, fee to coach, to coach. And uh, at the time, well, because John Bingham that, was a coach, yeah. at the time, but he did say to me, he says that, and John's finished at the end of the year. They were halfway through the season. Yeah. And uh, he says, when John's finished at the end of the season, would you like to coach? He says, and we'll, we'll pay you a thousand dollars. Oh, yeah, okay. So I had never ever been offered that kind of money before. So uh, that's when that all came about. And uh, but I went and played with John, John Bingham in the '75 season. Yeah, for the half a year of whatever it was that we we played. Yeah. And, and John, and what did you think initially of? Because um, back then it hadn't turned into the Premier League, but the top tier of Illawarra football was the First Division, so it would have been chalk and cheese, New South Wales Federation versus the First Division of the Illawarra District Soccer Association. I remember the first game we played. I played. I was. I played the reserve grade. The reserve grade first half. Yeah. It was against Fairy Meadow. And Norm Flanagan was the coach of Fairy Meadow at the time. Yep. First grade, and I played the reserve grade first half, and then I sat on the bench for first grade, uh, uh, for the first half of first grade, and then at half time, I came on as a substitute. And Norm Flanagan, the coach, put Ernie D'Arcangelo. Yeah. He told Ernie, stick to Alan, don't move, and I never got a kick at the ball. <laughs> <laughs> it was so because uh, Ernie used to play with us out at Safeway. Yeah, uh, Ernie was quite a solid kind of fella, you know, and uh, but nice, nice guy, nice quiet kind of guy. So welcome to the IDSA. Yeah, uh, it was a, a bit of a, a shock to the system, 
But uh, so it was, a, it was a good standard of football then. Yeah, in the Premier League, uh, that was this before the Premier League actually started. Yeah. Eh? And uh, I, because I was the high profile, I used to get kicked a lot. They used yep. to kick, kick, kick me, kick me, kick me, you know. <laughs> and I remember one game against 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 uh, Fairy Meadow a little bit later on. Uh, Mick Richardson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had a bit of a tussle, and I I won something, and Mick turned to me and he said, "Come here, you little, pull that moustache right off your face." <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome to the Illawarra. <laughs> so you saw out the the '75 season with Coromel Rangers as as a player. So so what was John Bingham like as a coach? John John was very good as a coach. Uh, he had a lot of different ideas from uh, a lot of other coaches I had played with, and uh, he was he was straight down the line. You you do what you're told, otherwise you're not playing, you know. Yeah. And I remember one. I remember that year there was a, a couple of guys went down as, as some of them do, and probably still do go down the snowy mountains for a weekend, yeah. and they turned around in at training and said. Uh, we won't be here on Saturday or Sunday. We're going down the snowies for the snow. John <laughs> says, "Well, don't come back." <laughs> and he was—he was straight down the line. He didn't muck around. He said, "Well, you won't be playing the next week when you come back, you know." So, and and he stuck these guns, and, and they were better players. But no, he—he was—he was good, and and I quite liked John. And uh, Peter Dent as a committee guy and. And I think it was Alan Peace. Alan Peace and Peter Dent. Uh, Peter's um, very English. Yep. Very, very, very English. <laughs> and, uh, still still involved with the club to this day. Yeah. Uh, Alan, Alan Peace was the, 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 the treasurer, the one who yep. looked after the, the things so, in the club. So we, like you said, you, you had the... Uh, uh, the promise or the agreement that at the end of the year that you'd then coach and get paid a thousand dollars to be player coach. That year was there sort of win loss bonuses just as a player. After after John's season ended at Cornwall, then Pete and I used to get together. On, so uh, they did follow through with the agreement, and John had moved on, and yeah, and you'd taken yeah. over the role. Yeah, yeah. So we we'd have a few talks, a few meetings, and try and hash out what players we wanted. Yep. Uh, there wasn't. They they used to pay ten dollars a win. Yep. For for first grade, and uh, then go and spend it at the bar on after the games. You know, more or less. Because <laughs> uh, you were, I guess, did it help you having? some of the 75 season to see what the club was like, what the players were there, which then helped you put together the club in 76. That would have helped you enormously, wouldn't it? The, the, the first year I coached, I, we didn't improve the side from what they had um, because I personally thought that we were good enough. Yep. We we went... The, uh, my, my first... Uh, uh, job was at the seven sides at Winuna. Yep. And we finished runner up yep. to Fairy Meadow, beat us in the final in the seven sides. And I think we also did very well in the Common Lease Club. Yep. 
That, so that, in your mind, do you? In my mind, I thought we were we'd be up there. And and who was uh, in that seventy six team when you first in that preseason? What what were the sort of key players in your mind for that team? I I always believed that players who had played with Safeway, yep, or Bargani, Gary Gibbons, the goalkeeper. I thought he was was good enough. Yep. Um, Jamie Devlin. Thought yep. he was good enough. Uh, Greg Goodfellow. I always had in my mind that if the defence could keep the ball out, get it up to Greg and I, we'd score the goals. Yeah. And that's how I, I used to believe that. But it didn't always work out. It, yeah, we. I always thought that Greg and I up front would look after the goals, you know. Because at that point in time, in, in, in 76, you know, you're... I guess, 22 turning 23. Yeah. You know, so you're a very young man. You're coaching a lot of older blokes. Um, even though they'd played with you the year before, uh, was there a bit of resistance early on or, or was it all good? And and how did you take to coaching no, at we, a young age? We didn't, we didn't have a lot of older fellas in our side until the next year. Yeah. When... So it wasn't really a problem? No one no, really left because no. of... They, they were more or less my, my age, as in the next year after so, when we had then Joe Heggie, Klaus Simovic, yep. the, these kind of guys, they were older than what I was, and had, had come, well, Joe had come from uh, Sydney, from St. George in Sydney. Federation, yeah. An experienced player. Uh, and then they gave me a lot of help. Okay. Yeah, they, they helped me with training. We'd be and did you deliberately engage them or did they just offer to help? No, they, I, I would just tell, set aside the defenders or the midfielders and then they yeah. would take a, a small group side by side, you know. And they would um, they'd look after and, they, and they'd tell me who was doing the right thing and who wasn't. They were very, very honest. They were, they were nice guys. They were, they were good. And, and around that time, you know, the likes of... Berry Meadow, Fig Tree, Balambi, you know, Bulleye, they're, they're strong clubs. So, uh, like you said, uh, it was a tough competition, wasn't it, in 76? I used to hate playing against Berkeley. <laughs> yeah, Berkeley as well, Tarawana. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Ritchie and Paul Harris, they were so... Uh, and I think that they used to like playing against us because they, they, we, we never beat them very much. But, uh, yeah, Fairy Meadow... Victory were always very hard. Adrian Ringlands was coaching Victory yep. there the first, and then Wally took over. Wally Miller took over after that. Um, they were always a Victory were always a, a very strong forward line. Robbie Knox, Stevie Sowery, Jan Cooper. They they were all Steve Royal. They were all big fellas, <laughs> and we could never compete against them. You know, we had, and they were older. And against our younger defence, yeah, they, they used to run over the top of them. And what about some of those uh, those guys in '76? Um, you know, can you talk a bit about Ross Patterson and Kevin Smead, for example, and and what sort of where they played and what sort of players they were like? Ross Ross Patterson. Ross was my best man at my wedding, actually. Um, when I got sent off in the first Premier League game of the season at Memorial, Ross, I, I, I was told by George not to come out in the second half. And Ross more or less took things under his wing and looked after the side for the second half. Um, 
the very he wasn't a big 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 fella uh, but he was very skillful on the ball along with Kevin Kevin yeah. Smead and uh, this that was my midfield uh, Kevin was maybe a bit slower than Ross but very very in the mind very Could read the game very good that way you know and and for yourself um how did you fare in terms of goals with with Greg Goodfellow? You know, how was that combination going? Did you did you end up scoring the goals that you wanted to, or or did you get a lot of the attention then? Greg, Greg and I, I thought we used to play well together up front. He was he's a bit taller than me, a bit bigger, um, but he would hustle and bustle the bigger defenders when I would. Or I pick up the crumbs, you know. Uh, he was he, he was a good a good uh, fella to play with. Because mm. that 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 year in '76, you uh, like you said, you you put together a reasonable team that ended up being, uh, I guess, mid table um, that year. So sort of lower lower mid table. So it didn't end up that way, but. Uh, when we went through your timeline, you had sort of Gary Gibbons in goal. Um, you had Paul Lackenby at right fullback, um, Ian Funnel and Jimmy Jimmy Devlin at centre back, um, left fullback Dennis Benjamin, a midfield of Ross Patterson, Kevin Smeed, Ronnie Satin, um, Greg Lanyon, and then Greg Goodfellow and yourself up front, and, and sometimes Philip Peace in there. So, uh, do you think that the league was just that strong that? That team just then couldn't make the the semi-finals. I I never I never ever knew anything about the top four. Okay, <laughs> you're just a league championship. <laughs> I never never bothered about we've got to get in the top four. You know, just go out and play our best every week, okay. and if we make the top four, we make it. <laughs> but when you look back now, the sides that we played against, as in Fairy Meadows. Carolinas, Berkeley. They they were much stronger than what we were. Yeah. On, and but we held our own a, a lot of the times. Uh, and I, I know that um, um, if we had taken our chances a couple of times, we would have beaten them. Yep. But it was we, we never got slaughtered. We never, we never uh, wasn't lambs to the slaughter. Fig tree were always strong. Fig tree were always strong, and. Uh, um, but they were bigger, bigger players. Yep. Fairy Meadow had Utini centre half. Um, they they were well organised, very well organised. And I, I never liked going down to play. I played Fairy Meadow once at Dalton Park. Yep. But then they moved to the other the field. Boys. Yeah, other there. Um, they were. Fairmere weren't as good as Fig. I always think Fig Tree were were probably the team, you know. Yeah. Tarawana, yeah. Tarawana were, uh, were 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 strong for a couple of years, but I don't think they were as good as Fig Tree. So, uh, in terms of some of the other players, um, can you talk a bit about um, your thoughts on Ronnie Satin and and Greg Lanyon and where they played and. And what were their stronger qualities? Ronnie, Ronnie Satin was uh, 
very quiet kind of guy, very uh, soft. Um, but on the ball, he was very, very clever. Yep. Um, him and his brother. Yep, Harry. Harry, was it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. They were. They both turned up at training one night, but I think Ronnie was the only one that signed. Harry yeah. went back to Ferry Meadow, I think. Greg, Greg played out in the right wing, and he was very fast, very skillful, and used to, my my way of thinking, was take take the fullback on, beat the fullback and get the ball to the byline, cross it back into the the box for Greg and myself. You know, he was very. He's skillful. Him and his brother Peter. Um, Greg, Greg was the better one of the two. <laughs> so th- you then um, had sort of that '76 season where you're sort of lower mid table, and then you continued on with Coromel Rangers in 1977. Um, there, like you said, you had Joe Heggie, Klaus Simovic from Helensburg come into the team, and and, and a couple of other guys, Graham Gardner was there on, on left wing as well. So you'd strengthened the team. So uh, was that was that you just then saying, hey, did you go out and seek two new centre backs, or or did did Peter help with that? Klaus used to play for Helensburg. Yep, came down from Helensburg, and I think he found. He wasn't going anywhere at Helensburg and needed a change. Yep. And I, I offered him his centre back position along with Joe Heggie right back. And but in the end, they both played both centre halves. And what were they like as a centre half pairing? What were their strengths? The size of them. <laughs> uh, the it wasn't much got past them. And they were tough as nails. They were hard. They, I I would have hated to play against them, <laughs> but uh, but they they played the game well. They played they played well, and uh, they, I was glad that they were on my side and not playing against them. And were you a bit disappointed that season because you uh, at work you'd had a, a serious work injury, mm-hmm. um, so you spent uh, quite a few weeks out. Um, after that work injury, so was that harder than not being able to be the player coach and and sort of help on the field and and just be a coach from the sidelines? You know, I, I had uh, all these stitches in my leg. Uh, this one, eh? Wow. So you so you're at work in the coal mines, were you, or where were no, you? No, still works. It still works. Yep. When that happened, yeah. Uh, I. I Fifty-seven stitches in my leg, and didn't think I would play the rest of the season. But then it healed up very well, and I only, I only missed two weeks, two games. Wow! After fifty-seven uh, stitches, you only missed two weeks. I only missed weeks. two games, and then the next game we played was against Helensburg up at Helensburg, and I scored a hat trick first game back. And then the next game was a Brampton Cup tie on a Sunday down at Union Dera, and we. We beat them 10, 1 or 10 nil or something, and I scored six that day. And so t- uh, <laughs> I had nine nine goals in the first uh, two games back. So it didn't really affect you? or I, I just strapped it up and I kept it clean and I, uh, uh, I just wanted to play. I couldn't sit on the sideline. I hate sitting on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> because even um, then you had um, 
some referees that had a bit of personality and George Naylor, who most of the listeners know um, what he uh, has done in the game as a, as a referee and as an administrator. But, you know, he would talk to the players and, and even in your first game back against Helensburg, you got a bit of a whack on, on your bad leg and, and he had a chat with you. Uh, when I went down after a, a, a tackle and uh, he asked me, he came running up to me and he says, was that your sore leg? And I says, no, it's all right, George, don't worry about it, just play on, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he used, to, he used to talk to players as the, the game went on. And uh, he's very good, he's a good referee, first referee ever sent me off. Yeah, because that was in uh, earlier on in that year, um, 76 it was the first division, 77 it became the Illawarra Premier League and then uh, yourself mm. and Comer Rangers and Fig Tree uh, had the first Premier League um, game. Match of the day. Uh, match of the day and uh, uh, what transpired that you were then sent off by, by George? It was just it was just before half time. Uh, I th- think Fig Tree might have been up 3-1 or so. Three, three, one, or three, two. Uh, just before half time, and uh, it was a decision that he gave against us, which I thought was a should have been a corner. Yeah. And and he said it was a goal kick, and I argued with the linesman. Uh, I thought the linesman was out of position or hadn't seen what actually had happened. Yeah. And George looked at the linesman and says, "No, a goal kick." And I says, "No, I says no, should have should have been a corner, you know." And then argument after argument and then and then he blew for half time and went in the dressing shed and he came in the dressing shed and he said don't you bother coming out the second half <laughs> that was it <laughs> and, and Fig Tree turned out for the second half and they've only got 10 players you know who's, who's missing <laughs> so had he sent you off on the field or he came no in the, in the dressing sheds in the dressing sheds in he gave you a red shed, card yeah. Yeah, in the shed, not on the field. Wow. In the dressing That is shed. unusual. And I just sat there and thought, oh, thanks, George. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, uh, 77, again, lower mid-table. Um, you know, Ferry Meadow, Tarawana, Berkeley were, were, were the top three that year. Um, did you think in your mind, well, I still want to keep playing? Um were you thinking that you'd keep coaching and playing at Coromel or or did were there discussions during the year with Peter Dent and Alan Peace that said, well, hey, maybe uh, two years are, are done and time to move on? I had had a cartilage taken out when I was 16-year-old back home and it started to play up on me. Yep. Um, I had missed very, very... Very, very little games through injury because I was, it was always that 57 stitches was the worst one I ever made. Two weeks, <laughs> uh, it was never had any bad breaks or twisted ankles or nothing. And my left knee started to play up. And going home from training, uh, heat packs and all the rest of it, rubbing ointments into them. I went to the doctor a couple of times and had uh, had uh, cortisone injections. Uh, injections and whatnot. So getting old, wear and tear. Uh, You're only twenty three, th- turning twenty four, sort of thing. So, but a lot of football had been played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I went for an X ray, and 
this doctor Laird in Newcastle, and he said to me, he says, and how old are you? And I says, I'm 24, 25, whatever. And he says, you've got a knee of an 85-year-old man. Wow. And I said, really? And he says, yeah. He says, uh, there's a lot of wear and tear in there. He says, and you've actually got some floating bone in behind your kneecap. He says, do you want me to operate and take it off, take it out? And I says, no. I says, we'll just leave it as is. So yep. we just left it. But then eventually, uh, a few years ago, I had a whole knee replacement, you know. So, so. Was it just a mutual agreement then at the end of 77 that you'd finish up at Coromel? Yeah, that was when Balga uh, when Dapto came yeah. knocking. So, uh, Tommy Kay, had you'd already said to to Coromel, look, I'm not coaching next year, or 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 before you'd said no to them. Tommy Kay had spoken to you first, or well, Coromel hadn't talked to me. Coromel had uh, approached Wally Miller, okay, to to coach. So you knew your your coaching position wasn't there. Yeah, and potentially playing. The, well, you might have been playing there, but Tommy Kay gave you a call. Never actually played under Wally, under Wally Miller. Um, but then the position's not offered or talked about. Yep. And Tommy came knocking on the door and, uh, and, and said that he'd like me to join DAPTO. Yeah. Um, so they were the, the gun club at the time. They were being well backed by DAPTO League Club. And uh, money wasn't a problem, so Tommy was uh, the one in charge of all that. And I, I quite liked, uh, quite liked playing down there at Dapto. And uh, what was uh, uh, the money that you're going to pay for match payments? But but what what was the sign-on fee to, to join uh, Dapto? Having just gotten married, and we used to have a little twelve-inch black and white television in a in a unit down at Coniston, and. Uh, Tom, Tommy asked me, he says, what could I sign you on for? And I says, oh, I, says, I don't know, I says, whatever you want. He says, what about if we go down and buy you a new colour television? So I had a colour television as me signing on fee for Dapto. Wow. I think then it was $300 or $400 or something. A colour TV back then was pretty huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was good. It was uh, big, big in these days. Uh, my wife was very happy and uh, uh, I was happy. It, Tommy, Tommy Key was a nice guy. Because he was sort of the uh, the main committee man there at DAPTO, but um, Casey De Bruin was the coach, and, and, and we all, uh, people that listen to this podcast and, and yourself and a lot of others of us in the Illawarra know of, and around Australia, I guess, know his quality as a coach. So how did you find Casey? Casey was very, very hard, very tough. Um, having been a, a player himself years, years before, um, and from the Sydney Federation, I believe he played in. He uh, was a very hard taskmaster. Couldn't quite get the results he deserved yep. um, with the amount of work that he put in. And it was different to going there as a just as a player, having been a coach at another yep. club the previous couple of years. Um, and I was just become one of the boys. Yep. But. Uh, I used to help Casey a bit with setting things up and, and whatnot during, during uh, training sessions. So he did have sort of innovative and, and, and yeah, quality yeah. sessions? If he needed a help, I was, there, I was there for him if he needed help. And I told him that before I signed. And I said, if you need any help. so. Uh, but we, we just couldn't seem to get the results that we 
we we thought we were going to be getting playing at Dapto. Anyway, that's how it goes. But you enjoyed yourself just being a player again. Yeah, yeah, going back to just playing again and uh, being being one of the the the, the players and and listening instead of talking more, listening to the instructions rather than just thinking that you had to do it yourself. Uh, no, I enjoyed playing adapt. And in terms of Casey, there was times there that um, one of the players, uh, Andy Campbell, left to go to the Royal Air Force. So um, there was times there where Casey uh, was player coach and played a few games. So did he still have a bit of ability as a player? He was a bit slower than what he, he yeah. would have had, had a, ever been. Um, but uh, he used to hold the defence together. Him and uh, Johnson McCanns was yep. his centre-backs. Uh, Jimmy Headley was the right-back. I can't remember who the left-back was. But he was... Uh, a lot of the sides that we played against were sometimes I felt a bit frightened playing against Casey. Yeah. Because Casey was had been a top player, you know? Yeah. And they, they were overawed by playing against Casey De Bruyne, you know? Um and, and I, I, th- I think Casey's still in Sydney coaching. Yeah, no, he's definitely still involved from, from what I'm aware of. Mm. And in terms of a couple of the other DAPTO players, can you talk about Roberto Hernandez and Paul Harris and, and what were their strengths and qualities? Robert, Roberto and I used to play up front. Um, Roberto was very, very skillful. Yep. Very skillful. Uh, was Roberto Spanish or South American or something? Yeah. And very, very skillful. Um, he scored. He, he scored probably more goals than what I scored. Um, very quick on his feet. He's only a small guy. He wasn't yep. very tall. And who was the other one? Paul Harris. Paul. Paul was a poacher. <laughs> Paul was a centre forward poacher. Uh, but in the get get Muller mould, uh, and he he never changed when Paul played previously with Berkeley. Yeah. And um, before he come to Depto. Uh, had a good, very good centre forward and scored a lot of goals, but uh, didn't wasn't a worker. But give him the ball in a six yard box and he put it in the net for you. Apart from uh, the colour TV that you that you then got, it was was it uh, twenty dollars for a win and and ten dollars for every goal you scored was your payment system there. That was that was Tommy's Tommy's idea. But but don't tell anybody. <laughs> we'll pay you $20 a win and $10 for every goal you scored. And last year you scored 100 You would have been $160. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that was that was all the, the hush, hush. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Roberto might have got $20 a goal. <laughs> I don't know. And you, and you played there at Lakeland Oval. Now, like you said, you, you love Memorial because... And, and Balls Paddock, they're enclosed grounds and, and very nice grounds in the Illawarra. So what was Lakeland's Oval like? Lakeland's Oval had the cricket pitch in the middle. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a shocker. But uh, there was plenty of open space down there. Uh, they, had the, they had the fence around the football field, which had, had the, soccer, the cricket pitch in the middle. So you used to keep away from that. Uh, and then they had a training field just across from the... The actual match day field, uh, so. So you lost a bit of skin during that year, then. Oh uh, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a shocker. <laughs> but uh, 
He's bandaged up and away you go again. <laughs> so at the end of uh, 78 and then for the 79 season, um, you then ended up uh, going to, to Coniston. Um, how did that move come about? Bobby Bobby Fryer came came looking and uh, asking. He recruited because you'd played with him obviously at Safeway when you yeah. first arrived in Australia. Yeah, he had he had returned from Sydney. I think he went back to yep. Sydney to play, and he returned back to to the Illawarra and uh, recruited. It was himself, Jerry Walker. Myself, um, I think he signed Ron Vandervoort. So uh, some quality players. There was a, a quite a quite a turn of personnel at Coniston when Bobby took over. Um, Ian Astle, the goalkeeper. Yep. Um, Ronnie Van Eed. Uh, yeah. Van Eed. So uh, for you, were you still living in a unit in Coniston at the time, and and that suited your needs, or? Well, it was it's like going back on old times. We played with Jerry and Bobby uh, uh, again, and uh, I, I think Bobby thought the same as him and me up front, as I used to think of myself and Goodfellow up front yeah. at Carmel, and uh, uh, we we had a couple of good good games at Coniston. Yeah. Because you, like you said, you. You remember uh, you're telling me in your timeline that you'd you're playing in the Coromel League's knockout for your first game, and and you had Ian Astle playing in gold, and and he had just returned from Sydney, and then he, just as you're walking onto the pitch, he seemed very nervous, and then what did he say to you? Ian, Ian, Ian was very nervous because he hadn't, I don't think he had he had played for a couple of years, and this okay. was one of his first games back, the Coromel League Club uh, down at Memorial Park. And he, he said to me walking out, he says, you keep the ball up that end of the field, he says, because I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to touch the ball because he was very, very nervous. <laughs> and, uh, we won, we won, we did well. And so yeah. what was uh, uh, Robert like as a, as a player? You'd seen him all those years ago, but what was he like as a player? And now what was he like as a coach? Robert... Uh, when he played it, it Safeway was out in the in the, in the right wing, and uh, he's very quick, very fast, and um, but I think that when he, I never used to think he trained very hard, so he's maybe putting a little bit of weight on. Uh, when he went to, when he came back to Coniston, uh, along with Jerry and myself, we were quite tightly knit crew yep. uh, but Bobby had a few different ideas uh, Bobby used to think uh, I think coached along the way John Bingham coached Okay. very similar and uh, unfortunately we just never got the results that, that we were expected to get we expected a big year at Coniston but never happened yeah Ended up playing yourself that year, 17 first grade games and two appearances off the bench, uh, five goals and, and, and six uh, player of the year points um, and a hat-trick in, in round six. Um, you know, like you said, you played with Hans Van Eed and, and Peter Bragg and Brian Midgley and, and uh, 
Ian Serson and, and Kevin March. So um, the round six game, um, you played Coromel at Gladstone Avenue and won 4-1 um, in, in that year with Coniston. Can you, you tell us about this game? So when I scored three? Yeah. I remember one of the goals that uh, uh, Bobby, Bobby, had, there'd been a, a, a big downpour at half time. And uh, Bobby had taken the ball down the left, the left wing, and cut it back. And Warwick Young was a goalkeeper for Coromel at the time, and he, Bobby cut the ball back to the six-yard box, and I was running in, and I slid in the water from the six-yard box to over <laughs> the byline <laughs> into the goal with the, with the ball. Uh, I still remember that one. And, so was uh, it a, a pretty uh, satisfying moment to to score a hat trick against your old club? Scoring a hat trick against my own club, I, Rex Rexy Layden was the referee, and I had scored one the first one, and then we got a corner, and I was being slack, I guess. Um, I, I, I was running back up to the box where the corner was coming over from, and I said, happened to say to Rexy, oh, I better go, and, I better go and score another one, Rex." So the ball came across from the corner, and I headed it in. And that was, that was another goal. And I turned around to Rexy and I said, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Rex, Rexy Layton was a good referee. And uh, McKinnon Park on Gladstone Avenue, Coniston's ground, McKinnon. That was hard as a rock. Uh, Not yes. a great ground and it sloped a bit, did it? It was uh, on the slope down the hill in the corner and the wind was blowing, a westerly wind blowing over the field. Uh, it used to be horrible to play on there. But... Uh, yeah, they don't still play there, do they? No, they've moved to J.J. Kelly uh, mm. uh, in the 80s. They moved there. What about, um, you know, a, a couple of other players there that you played with? Um, Hans Van Eed, a central defender. Um, what was he like? Hans was a very quiet kind of guy. Very, he'd, he'd come to training, you'd hardly have a talk to him. Very quiet, easygoing kind of guy, but uh, a tough, tough defender. Tough, tough guy. And did you enjoy your time at Coniston? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the committee at Coniston were very hands-on. They, uh, they used to organise a lot of fundraising things at Coniston. Um, no, they, they were a very good side, Coniston. I, I never had a problem with any of the clubs that I'd been to. Yeah. They, uh, I've gotten along pretty well with anybody and everybody. Uh, so was it just a... A simple matter of, um, in in nineteen eighty, you went back to Coromel Rangers. Did you want to stay at Coniston, or did? Because Wally was coaching. Wally Coromel was coaching Ray, first Wally grade. Miller, so did he just say? And he asked me if I wanted to come back and coach second grade. Okay. As his uh, uh, two boys, Keith, Keith and Peter, can't remember. Anyhow, they were both in this first grade squad. Um, but he asked me if I wanted to coach second grade. I said, I'll come back and help you out, you know. But uh, we didn't have, I had a couple of, had about three or four guys from university who were looking for a, just for a game of soccer. Yeah. Came and played with the reserve grade side. Um, but we, we we weren't strong. We didn't do, do any good, really. And like I said, that year, you... 
you still contributed. You, you had 19 appearances, two off the bench, seven first grade goals, and and uh, a couple of reserve grade appearances. So, um, what was Wally Miller like as a coach? Wally was fitness fanatic, and uh, he he used to take us out running that he's running along the roads and up the hills and Coromel up these back streets. <laughs> uh, pre-season training was always very tough, and uh, he was he was all right. He was he was good tactically. Um, his training methods were different to mine. I uh, we were all different. But uh, he was very strong club-wise. He gave his 110%. Yep. And uh, he expected that from everybody else, you know. Yeah. Well, well, he was fine. Well, he was good. And how did you enjoy reserve grade coaching then? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but I was, getting, I was getting to the end of my career then. And uh, I, I had... Um, my my knee was getting worse and worse and worse, so it was it was looking at time to give it away, you know. So did you play the following year in eighty one, or at, at that point in time, did you you might have no, played a handful no, of games? I think I gave it away then. Okay. I think I gave it away. Was it a pretty easy decision based on the pain that your knee had? And yeah, uh, I did think um, uh, should I go and maybe just just play for a second division team just for a, a game. And I thought, nah, give it away, walk away. And those next couple of years where you hadn't played, did you really miss it or, or, or was the pain of the knee going, well, I miss it, but not that much? I did. I, I, I did miss my soccer. Um, and at that time, though, just moving into a unit, just, just moving into a unit down in Balambi, um, Keeping working, yeah. Family, family come first, then, yeah. And then soccer was the next. And and I think even though you don't recall it too much, in in eighty two, um, before you moved up to the Hunter, uh, you did have a, a sort of a, a couple of gigs. Uh, one of them was the youth grade Illawarra coach, where you you played a game down in Canberra. Yeah, that uh, uh, I kind of forgot all about that until it, it was brought back up and. Uh, we went down to Canberra to play ACT, yep. and I th- think they beat us 3-1, 3-2, 3-1 or 3-2. But uh, my wife had to drive the car down because I was on the bus with the boys. <laughs> and uh, it was her that reminded me, yes, I remember that, so I had to take the kids in the car. <laughs> <laughs> so 83, you then move up to, to Singleton uh, for work opportunities. So, uh, how did you involve yourself up there in in the game of soccer? I I went up there and was working in the coal mines, and uh, being being new to the area, um, one of the guys that I worked with had involvement with Singleton Soccer Club. Yep. And uh, yeah, why why don't you come and play with us? You know, <laughs> finish finish playing. You know, he was a, a, an English guy. And uh, I said, ah, oh, but we'll come and might come and have a look at some of the young kids. Yep. So I, I a couple of years, and I decided to take on a, a an under 16s, under 14s, under 16s. Yep. Which we took them to the grand final, 
and uh, but we got beat in the grand final. And then I after so after, what was that like for you uh, getting back involved in the game again and and coaching? It was quite playing? hard because I had forgotten a lot of stuff, <laughs> and then it was only after you were out training, uh, coaching, uh, things would start to come back, you know, and then progressed and we got better and we got better and coaching got better and the, the kids got better and were enjoying it more uh, and they, they they hadn't been very strong in their competitions up to then but they, they were starting to win games and they were starting to enjoy it more and then when we got to the finals um, they had never a lot of the kids had never played finals football and uh, we got them to the grand final. And uh, uh, to me, and still to this day, you go on the field to win the game. You don't go on the field to just enjoy yourself and not win. Yep. Uh, a famous saying by Johan Cruyff was that if you, can't, if you don't think you could win the game, make sure you don't lose the game. <laughs> and... Uh, a lot of the kids had never been in this in the 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 area of finals football when we took them to the grand final this year, and one of the kids' mothers, and this is what stopped me from being involved anymore. But she came up to me after, "Why isn't my son playing? Why isn't my son playing?" And I said, "Look, I said you put your strongest side on in, in a grand final. You don't go out there to just enjoy yourself. You go out there to win." And that's what I'm here for. And uh, even to this day, she uh, I still see her in, in, in town and uh, she gives me the glare, you know. The, <laughs> my, after all these years, you know. So but, you, you, you finished up there after helping out coaching juniors, but you, you then went into refereeing up there. So how did that come about and, uh, and, and, and what happened in your refereeing career? My best mate, uh, my best mate, who was my next door my next door neighbor but three doors down working with a guy in uh, at Leamington mine and he was the president of the the hunter district referees association and he asked alex one day he said tell alan to come and have a course with the refereeing but i never ever wanted to become involved in in that because i always used to think that uh, referees were people who had never ever played the game Right, and they've gone by the rule book, okay, and no give or take, and I, I always had that in my mind. That that's what referees were, and uh, so I went to a couple of sessions and picked up a couple of things that they they were training the the, the people to referee, yeah. and then started to referee, and then we go lo and behold, I. Uh, I ended up refereeing an under-16 grand final, which was... So a, you're doing predominantly junior refereeing here? Yeah. And this is around 87, 88? Yeah, yeah. When they go out refereeing on Saturday morning, for example, you go out to a field there and you might referee two under-10s or under-12s games at Singleton, and then you'll move to Maitland... And you're refereeing under 14s or an under 16s at okay. 12 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, you go to Cessnock and referee at what they have in the, the all-age all age competition. Yep. 
senior competition. So, so you were refereeing all day then? You'd gone from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock at night. And uh, I think they used to get $7 for a junior match and <laughs> $15 for a senior match or something like that. But you never you never ever did it for the money, but just the, the love of watching the, the kids, the younger kids, tried trying to play soccer. So yeah. how were you as a referee? Uh, well, I was the first one there to referee a grand final in their first year of refereeing. Wow. Nobody else had ever refereed a grand final. And uh, I refereed the under-16s grand final down at Rutherford that year. And known there is senior referee officials on the sideline watching, watching how I'm performing. Yep. So they have a they had a bit of a talk before the game, and don't do this and don't do that and make sure you do this and make sure you do that yeah 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 yeah, and there was a, a little bit of a tussle with two kids, and uh, one one hit the other kid and the other kid hit him back so retaliation in a grand final yeah I had my I had nothing else I could do but send him off, yep. so I'm sorry boys but. <laughs> You know, I've got all these people watching me, and you've, you've got to go. So I had to send them off. I'd, if they hadn't have been, if it had been any other game and nobody was watching, it probably wouldn't have bothered. But because it was an assault, so they were off. Yep. But, uh, they both, the, both the kids came to me after the game and shook my hand and said, thank you very much for doing what you've done, but uh, we're sorry that it happened that way. And I said, sure, that's fine, that's no problem. But uh, I, I quite enjoyed refereeing, actually. Yep, uh, and you did it for a couple of years? Yeah, for a couple of years, and then uh, then work work took over and uh, couldn't, I was work, starting to work weekends and stuff and couldn't get to games, you know. When you look back at your, your football life, Alan, that passion for the game started at Dens Park with Dundee, and then you sort of traversed over here and ha- had an adventure and and came to Balls Paddock and Memorial Park with, with Safeway and Coromel. Um, can you believe where football has taken you? I'm very glad that I've done what I have done. I probably feel that I, I may have been able to do better, yep. do more. Uh, but what do you do? You, 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 you grow up, you have your... What you're thinking at the time is the best part of your life. And you're playing against top teams and you're playing against top people. Um, the only thing I, I re- kind of regret is that I never played in a top four team. Yep. Played the, the final. I never played in many finals. I played in a, a Como Leafs Club knockout, I think it was, or a <laughs> Brampton Cup final or something one year. But... Uh, I never ever made a top four yep. as a player or a coach, and but un, that was always unbeknown to me before I come to Australia. Yeah, I never knew what a top four was. Yeah, and uh, to me, the best team in the league is the one that's on top of the league yep. at the end of the year. They're the winners. Yeah, uh, I, I never seen how a, a team finishing third could become grand final champions. You know, I could never believe that. <laughs> And uh, but to me, it's only a, an extension of an extension of an extension. Uh, so I, I liked running out on Balls Paddock. 
I, I really liked playing there. I liked playing at Cornwall at Memorial Park. Um, probably two of the better parks in the district. Um, I don't know what they're like now. If they're there's no, they're still in pretty pretty good nick. They're still yeah. Um, but there's no balls paddock anymore. It's yeah, over it's the back just, now. It's just yeah. moved. Yeah, it's still a great facility. Yeah, but it was great to come to to go to training at Balls Paddock. It was great to to be trained over the back. Yeah, but to come in and play, and there was, I think we played one game. There was seven thousand people at Balls Paddock. Extraordinary. We played when the top team had call or something. One of the top sides. Uh, that, that day um, but in the, it was an experience of playing in Sydney it was very uh, uh, um, there were long days because you would leave in 9 o'clock in the morning and uh, not get back till 7 or 8 at night yeah. um, a lot of a lot of good friendships a lot of good good guys I've met along the way you know, sometimes I wish we, what's happened to them now. You know, where are they now? You know, <laughs> uh, slowly getting to know where a couple are. Um, Steve Sowry, Steve up, up in Queensland now. Um, Jerry Walker, still in Wollongong. Yeah. But you'd like to know what happened to a few other ones, you know, and uh, a few passed passed on. Anyway, yeah, that's life. <laughs> well, from the bottom of my heart, I. I I sincerely appreciate the day that you uh, then replied back to me on Facebook. Uh, it started us on this process where we've ended up today, and and I uh, I found your journey fascinating and uh, very interesting to hear. And I've read through it, and now hearing it again um, verbally, it's it's been brilliant, Alan. And and I heap of respect and and, and appreciation for you to come down here and. And, and put your hard earned and your driving time to come down from from Singleton down to Coromel. So um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem. Thank you. And uh, I, I really have learned from past experiences of my this is your life kind of story. <laughs> I had never known nothing about podcasts. I have never listened, but no, I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. So thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 74. It is sincerely valued. Once again, thank you to Alan for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game and for joining me in my home. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.